morning. If you are here for the first time and you don't know uh, uh, who I am, uh, my name is Roman Gonzalez, and I serve uh, Ironworks as the assistant pastor. And it is a great blessing uh, for me to be able to preach um, the Word of God to you today. Um, after singing the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen, Alexandra Burke crowned herself as the winner of the British series The X Factor in 2008. Her performance was astonishing, powerful, jaw-dropping, and heart-filling. Everyone listening in the public, including the judges, were mesmerized by such an incredible performance. Her pitch was perfect, her tone was perfect, and her interpretation was perfect. The best part of her performance was when she, accompanied by a choir in the background, went into her belting voice singing hallelujah, showing everyone she could actually sing. The people who started to listen to her performance with wonder now are so excited that even before she finished singing, everyone was on their feet applauding and cheering uh, at her. Some of them have tears in their eyes for such an amazing performance. When she finished singing, the crowd applauded and cheered even louder, crowding out her name, Alexandra, Alexandra, everybody was saying. There was no doubt she deserved to sing, to, I'm sorry, excuse me, to win the competition that year. Why do we wonder? Why do we have the capacity to marvel? Why do we have the ability to be in awe of things? Why do we celebrate when someone is good at something? Why do we even have the expressions like, wow, you wow me? Well, I think part of the answer is found in the text we will be reading today. So I will ask uh, Aaron Richti to please come and read the, the scripture for us today. Romans 10, 13 to 21. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has, belie who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. 
But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Adam. Well, today is the first Sunday, Sunday of the month, and that means that today is, as you have heard, Doodle Sunday. And this means that the kids are joining us today for worship. Um, kids, I, uh, it is always good to have you uh, with us. Welcome to our worship service. I want uh, you to know that I, am, I feel privileged to address you today, uh, so thank you for being here. So I want you to stay focused on what I'm going to be saying, and as much as possible, uh, to remain quiet. And if you have any questions, you can ask mom or dad, uh, and they can answer it for you. Uh, and here's the first drawing that I would like you to draw. I want you to draw uh, three persons. The first person uh, with a sad face, an afraid person, the second one, and the third one, an angry person. And they are surrounded by darkness. Okay? So this is the first drawing. Okay, at the beginning of chapter 10, Paul compared two methods of justification. He concluded that the method of justification that the Old Testament uh, teaches is justification by faith alone. And he has come to the middle of the chapter 10 uh, when he talks about justification that is not only for Jews, but also it includes Gentiles. And as a proof that justification was meant to include Gentiles as well, he quotes several passages from the Old Testament. And the most, or at least one of the most remarkable phrases from these quotations is the phrase, whoever or everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to talk to you in my sermon about this phrase. So the first thing that I'm going to say, or the first point of my sermon, is the meaning of this phrase. And I'm going to just say it like, say it like this. Calling upon the name of the Lord is an act of worship. Calling upon the name of the Lord is an act of worshiping God. As John Murray pointed out, the phrase calling upon the name of the Lord is an Old Testament formula that is used to express the worship addressed to God. It's a formula that is used to express the worship that is addressed to God. For example, Genesis 4:26, it says, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And listen to what it says later. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. Matthew Henry says that these can mean at least three things. First, 
that God's worshipers began to do more in religion than before. That's why Genesis is saying at that time. Second, the worshipers of God, now they are doing it, they are worshiping God publicly. They are doing public worship. Uh, and number three, they started to be distinguished or to distinguishing uh, themselves from others who do not worship God. And Matthew Henry even continues saying that this text is probably describing a great reformation in religion. It was like a new beginning. Now, the reason for this spiritual revival seems to be that God has already started to unfold his plan of redemption through a Messiah. And people, the people in that time, the, the, the sons of Seth and then of Enosh, they understand and they worship God for that. So calling upon the name of the Lord is an activity that describes the worshipers of God. It's what worshipers of God do. They call upon his name. In Genesis 1.8, God called Abraham and promised him an offspring in a land. And Abraham responded by pitching his stand uh, between the cities of Bethel and Ai, looking forward uh, towards Jerusalem, which, as you will remember in the story of redemption, would become the great center of worship for the Jewish nation. There, Abraham also called upon the name of the Lord. And then later on in Genesis 21, 33, when God had already fulfilled the promise of giving a son to Abraham and also secured the land of Canaan, we read that Abraham planted a tree, a tamarisk, I think is the way you pronounce it, and called upon the name of the Lord under that tree. Abraham is now publicly worshiping God and inviting others to worship him. The tree, uh, the tree that is described uh, in Genesis uh, 21 functioned as a house of prayer for Abraham. Then, if we continue uh, uh, analyzing what the Bible says also, uh, Isaiah, excuse me, Isaac, also called upon the name of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah, Elijah, when he defeated the false prophets of Baal, he also called upon the name of the Lord. The book of Psalms, Psalms commands us to call upon the name of the Lord. The prophet Isaiah says that people don't call upon the name of the Lord because God is angry at them. And then, Joel 2.32, which is the text that Paul quotes to prove that Gentiles are included in the plan of redemption. In Joel 2.32, we have the prediction of the setting up of the kingdom of the Messiah in the world by the power, uh, the pouring out of the Spirit on every flesh. The resulting of the pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh 
is that people from every nation and tongue, male or female, young or old, would call upon the name of the Lord. This is what Paul is doing here, is describing here by way of quoting Joel, what I called spirit-wrought, spirit-fueled, spirit-initiated, spirit-empowered worship. Does that echo any passage from the Old, from the New Testament? Maybe John 4, maybe? And this is even more significant when in Acts 2.21, Peter says that Pentecost is the fulfillment of Joel 2.32. He says that it's the milestone that signals the arriving of a new era, the era where not only Jews, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The era where God's worshipers would come from every corner of the earth. Then in Paul's letters, calling upon the name of the Lord is the mark of the true religious community. And it must be done with a sincere heart. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, to be called uh, saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So calling upon the name of the Lord is an act of worship. It's an act of worshiping God. And let me pause to ask the kids, kids, this is the second drawing that I want you to draw. Draw yourself, you're going to draw yourself walking on a road towards the three people you drew in your first drawing. Okay? And now let me now go back to Romans 10. I went a little bit through the whole Old Testament and to the New Testament. Let me go back to Romans 10. What, what is Paul saying here then by using the phrase and the formula um, calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, I think one of the things that he's saying is that salvation is the result of, call upon, uh, of calling upon the name of the Lord and that calling upon the, na- upon the name of the Lord is an act of worshiping God. So it describes what God's worshipers do. Now, I want to acknowledge that the phrase calling upon the name of the Lord is used in a soteriological context here. That was maybe a big word, but that only means in the context of salvation, someone coming uh, to know the Lord in a salvific way as his savior. But we should remember that calling upon God's name for salvation is not the highest end of salvation. Men's salvation, but worshiping God is. In other words, the end of man 
is worship, to worship God. It's the worshiping of God. The highest and in proclaiming the gospel is to make worshipers of God. It is not in the first place the salvation of men, but that men would turn to God and would say, wow, what an amazing God you are. That is why we marvel at great performances. That's why we have the capacity to be in awe. That is why we celebrate someone when, it's, when he is good at doing something. Because God created us and, give us and gave us the skills and the capacities to be in awe of him and who he is. Dear friends, every time that you see a game, think about the sport that you enjoy the most. Soccer or football or whatever. Whatever gets you excited. Think about it. When people celebrate the winner of the game, do you know what is that? Do you know what is happening there? Well, I, I, I think that it's a mirror of the great day when everyone will be shouting not the name of a superstar like Alexandra Burke, but the name of Jesus in humble adoration for his great work of redemption. I don't know if you follow the uh, real football Soccer. I'm sorry for saying that. But if you do, some, some, sometimes the people that is making comments about the, 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 the players, when they do a great job, and when they get the ball, where the, uh, the, the ball, the soccer ball, where they wanted to put it, have you heard those people, how they get so excited? Some of them do something like, go for a long time. <laughs> really. You know, there is one day when you and I, we are going to shout out the name of Jesus without ceasing in a way that he is going to be glorified in a very unique way. That's what is happening every time that you see the crowd getting so excited about the winner. Now, the second thing that I would like to share um, with you is the process of calling upon the name of the Lord. There is a process to get there. That's what basically Paul is saying here. Paul does not only says that calling upon the name of the Lord is the milestone making or, or um, signally the downing of a new era where all kind of people enabled by the power of the Spirit would worship the Lord. But he also says in verse 14 and 15 that there are some steps that must happen if someone is going to call upon the name of the Lord. There are some steps that have to take place, that, to, that need to be in place, 
if someone is going to call upon the name of the Lord. If someone is going to worship him, some things have to happen. In other words, the means by which God will bring worshipers to himself. Now, notice that Paul starts this process backwards. Do you notice that? He goes from the last stage of the process to the first one. This is what I call reverse divine logic. Reversed divine logic. What would you think if I had started my sermon saying, I have three points in my sermon. The third one is. <laughs> Maybe you would say, hey, hey, hey uh, tell us the first one first, right? But the reason why Paul is doing this is because he is emphasizing the goal of preaching the gospel. That's why he's going backwards, because he is emphasizing the goal of preaching the gospel. And that goal is to make worshipers of God. That's the goal. And he does that by mentioning first in the process, and then he goes backwards. Now, kids, this is um, the third drawing that I will uh, ask you to draw. Please now draw yourself telling the good news about Jesus to these three people that you draw in the first place. Draw yourself telling the good news about Jesus to these three people that you draw at the beginning. Now, let me be brave enough, <laughs> if, if, I, if I could be, uh, and reverse the order Paul gives us so that we can even more appreciate the point that I want to make in this, uh, at this moment. So in the reverse order, it would be sending, preaching, hearing, believing, calling upon the name of the Lord, and salvation. Let me do it again. The order is sending, preaching, hearing, Believing, calling upon the name of the Lord, salvation. Now, the question here is, who is doing the sending out? And I hope that the answer, or at least part of the answer, is clear to you all. And that is that it is God himself doing the sending of his people to preach the gospel uh, message. Now, why is, uh, why is it important to ask who is sending or doing the sending out? Well, because I think because the success of the gospel mission, the enterprise of the gospel mission depends on God himself. He is the one who initiates the process of salvation. And if preaching the gospel is or has the goal of making worshipers of God, please listen to me carefully. If preaching the gospel in the ultimate sense 
has the goal of making, creating worshipers of God. There is no one more interested in bringing worship to God than God himself. And there is no one more interested in bringing worship to God than God himself. So he is going to make sure from the beginning that there are messengers preaching the gospel message so that he at the end will receive worship. God lives for that. All his energies, if I can put it this way, all his talents, all his holy skills are invested in bringing worship and attracting his creatures' admiration to himself. That's what God always do. Whenever he's not listening to you pray, he is working on bringing worship to himself. Think about this profound truth. He will ensure he receives the worship and adoration that his name is worth receiving. Isaiah 42, 8, I will not give my glory to another. Now, time will not allow me to go and explain every single step in the process. We would leave here around five, probably, and I know that you are not excited about that. Or maybe yes, I don't know. Um, but the fact that I am highlighting the, su uh, the success of the gospel mission, that it depends on God, that does not mean that we will just wait for God to come down in a cloud and preach the gospel himself. Someone has to go. If he is the one who sends, someone could be the one being sent. So Paul here is saying then that the goal of preaching the gospel, the ultimate goal of preaching the gospel is then worship. The worshiping of God. We share the gospel because we want them to become worshipers of God. So think about this. Every time you're, you're doing evangelism, missions, ministry, outreach, whatever you are doing, wherever you are involved in, we should do all those things with this in mind, that we are doing it so that God will be worshipped. Now, my third uh, point in my sermon is the highest benefit of calling upon the name of the Lord. What is the benefit of calling upon the name of the Lord? And God, uh, kids, this is uh, the last drawing that I ask you to draw. Draw yourself and the three people singing and happy. Okay? You are going to draw yourself and also the three people that you have been drawing every single time. But now they are, uh, they are not sad, angry, um, but they are happy. Okay? So 
Paul does not only tell us, uh, tells us that calling upon the name of the Lord is an act of worshiping God, and that uh, there is a largest, uh, uh, the, 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 there is a large, um, um, there are some steps to get someone to worship the Lord, but he is also, he also tells us that there is a high benefit on calling upon the name of the Lord. This is my third point. Listen to what Paul says in verse 12. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Now, see that verses 12 and 13, or if, if you um, rem, uh, remember, verse 12 and verse 13 contain two parallel ideas. In both verses, Paul uses the formula calling upon the name of the Lord. But in verse 12, God bestows his riches, whereas in verse 13, people are saved. In other words, in this context, bestowing, uh, the bestowing of God's riches uh, and being saved means the same. But I think the first one bears a more, a more profound truth, and let me explain you why I think that that is the case. The ESV translation renders the Greek term I'm sorry, I'm going to do this. Pluton, and I'm just doing it because it's so easy for us to say. Pluton, that's the Greek term. And, and they translated it as bestowing his riches in verse 12. Now, this word, Greek word, Pluton, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to do it again, is a participle nominative, first person singular. <laughs> and I know that that didn't tell you much. But it means that a better translation could be instead of that God, uh, that the Lord bestows his riches, a better translation would be that he is rich. That the Lord is rich. In other words, God's riches are not something God has but something that he is. He, the Lord, is rich. That is the implication. He does not have riches and give us something of what he has. Okay? This is what, what is amazing. He doesn't give us something that he has, but rather he is rich and he gives himself to those who call upon the name of of the Lord. He gives himself. Now, John Murray has a very insightful uh, comment about this phrase. And he says that the emphasis is not on the Lord being rich, but on the, but on the Lord's readiness to give his riches to those who call upon his name. And the reason is that in the original, again, Paul uses a preposition that can be translated towards, which speaks of God's, listen, speaks of God's disposi uh, disposition 
to enrich with himself, to enrich with himself everyone who calls upon his name. God makes you rich, not by giving you something that he has, but giving you his very self. Isn't it amazing? He is ready whenever someone calls upon his name. He is prepared to respond. Did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever run a race? Like just, just playing with, with other kids? Uh, well, I did. Uh, there were some times when, when I actually uh, uh, did. And I don't know if you were like, like me when you were a kid or maybe the, ki the kids that are here today. But did, did it ever happen to you that, when, uh, that you were so ready to run that you got your spot, you know, you went into the position ready to run, that you started running even before they finished saying, one, two, and, and you were already running. And everybody would, would get mad at you because you are cheating, right? <laughs> Maybe you didn't do that, but I sometimes, sometimes I did. That happens also all the time at the Olympic Games, right? There is always someone who starts running before the sound of go. Because they are so ready to start running. So that's the idea of the text when, he's, when Paul says that God is so rich that he is prone to bless you with himself. As soon as you call upon his name, he's so ready to give himself to you, to enrich you with his self. In other words, dear church and friends here this morning, the greatest benefit of calling upon the name of the Lord is that he is ready to respond to you by giving himself to you. Whenever you call upon his name in worship, he is ready to give himself to you for your delight and for your enjoyment. He is prone, as I said, to bless you as you call upon his name. Now, how... How can you become one who calls upon the name of the Lord? If you are not sure that you are one of those today, you're wondering how can I become one that gets mesmerized, that gets amazed, astonished by the beauty that there is in this God created of every. Thing. The God of 
old and new creation, if you don't know how that can be possible, how one becomes a worshiper of God, then let me go back to Joel's prophecy, where he talks about the pouring out of God's Spirit. He is the one who enables you to offer God Spirit-wrought, Spirit-fueled, Spirit-originated adoration and worship. Like Jesus told the Samaritan woman, John 4, he says, But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers of God will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And why does that happen? Why worshipers are worshiping God in spirit and truth? And the reason, Jesus says, is because the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is always working and seeking people, bringing, gathering His people so that they could worship Him. And He's ready to give Himself to His people, to you, Ironworks Church. And friends who are here today, He's even ready if you call upon His name so that you in the same way like Abraham would worship not at the tamarisk or tamarisk tree, but at the foot of another tree, at the tree of Golgotha, where the Lamb of God died to secure a people who would become worshipers of God. And now He gives to his church he gives to yourself also so that you can have the greatest benefit of calling upon his name please please stand